It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com, coming soon to iOS and Android. If you want it, go get it. Just be sure your vision is clear and your intentions are plain. The devil is a lie. Here's your host, Angel Nicole. The devil is a lie. A lot of people look at manifesting as a fairly new phenomenon. However, even the Bible tells us to write the vision and make it plain. In writing the vision, you're clearly articulating what you want, how you plan to get it, and what you're willing to sacrifice to achieve your goal. Most people stop at merely highlighting what they want. Today, I've brought in someone who has publicly described, declared, and dedicated an entire book to his future wife. Uh, spiritually, you got to be able to pray for her. You know, you, you know, you pray for her, not pray on her, which is a difference, mm-hmm. I think. I like that um, right there. Paul Bache Williams helps men, women, and children heal at his private practice, Hearts and Mind Counseling. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Happy to be here. Always love all the projects that you're doing. Anytime you ask me, like I told you, I am down. I got you. Aw, thank you. So we're going to dive in. In this conversation, I mean, I just wanted to flow Um, our target is about the manifestation process, but I want to dive in and start with the fact that I believe last year is when you got married, right? August 1st, 2020. Yes. You and Tara, which is a great friend of mine as well. (laughs) Y'all nearly tow up the internet with the video of the actual wedding day. And what I thought was very special about that was unless you were a close friend or family member, people had no idea you guys were dating. People had no idea that there was a wedding, you know, happening in the midst of a pandemic. Talk to me a little bit about what it took for that journey to take place and for love to align. So the journey actually started in 2000 after a relationship failed. Um, And you talk about manifestation. My book is literally my journal and my journey on paper to believe it. And some of the things that I see that I wrote uh, years ago come up as what I have now come up as my wife. Some of the things she says, some of the things that she does, some of the environments that we're in the stuff that I said I wanted to do. I just look up something to pop up on my timeline and it'd be like, I'm here. I'll see something that I wrote just randomly writing. I used to do something called randomly writing on my like stories or something like that. And literally I'll be describing my wife, but the manifestation is that's the kind of like the end result, but the process that I went through with myself, I had to look at myself and had to switch a lot of different things. I had to see myself as a husband before I saw my wife. I had to see myself as the man I needed to be for me in order to be the man that she needed for her and for our marriage. So that journey, what did that take? 
ooh, a lot of writing, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of admission of my behavior, admission of my struggles, ownership, and asking myself, do I really deserve the things that I'm asking for? Also, I took some isolation too, and it wasn't a bad thing because sometimes things come in pretty packages, but they're not what you need. So the distractions that look good, that sound good, are merely distractions. The enemy comes in many different forms. Enemy knows scripture. Like the enemy knows your mistakes even when you forget. So all those different things that I had to really isolate myself from in a moment, and I call it like in 2018, I call it the year of um, my wilderness year. And that's when I kind of shut everything down. I felt at that particular time, I felt like it was the worst year of my life. I couldn't even see the good things that were happening because the people, places, and things that were just shredding off. And I felt like I'm by myself. I felt like I can't do this alone. But I left my job and I started my practice. My practice was thriving, but I worked for the government. So that check was constantly coming. So, you know, even though the check was, and I look at it now, the check was less than my practice, but I knew that was secure. Um, A relationship that needed to end, that I said I didn't want to go into 2018 to be in that relationship, but I still held on because it was something that was secure, right? Even though it was unhealthy and toxic and, yeah, it was just not a good situation, but it was a line of security, even even if it was unhealthy security. And then even siblings, like I cut off connections with family members because they couldn't go with me because our relationship just wasn't healthy. So it was so many different things that happened in that particular year. So did you feel like you were almost like you had to be broken? Yeah. In a sense? Well, to be honest with you, I was already broken. And I wrote that before and I talked about being broke from fixing because I wanted to fix everybody's problems. I want to show up for everything. I had this complex that I can save everything. God has given me these abilities to come in and fix relationships, heal who needs what. I'll find a way for them. And I was neglecting myself. I was also neglecting the relationship with God I had because I was dependent on the relationship with them. So even I talk about uh, like doing devotionals, you know, that's the cliche thing that we all supposed to do is dating. We join a devotional, the Bible app. Like I've done that dating with so many different people. It became mundane and there was no power in it. And I did all the devotions in it. So it was just like this repetition. Routine. Of, yeah. So wait, so you're saying that you would always incorporate God into your relationship by way of let's just do a devotional. But and that was supposed to be substantial or was that just for select people that you would do that with? Yeah, select people. It was just part of the relationship, right? That's what this is what sustains our relationship. And then I always talk about spiritual infidelity. So while I'm praying with them, God tells me I need to be isolated and be praying with him. And so I'm dependent on our devotional when I need to be reading my own devotionals, getting myself together, because there are some things that aren't aligned with that person I'm seeing at that particular time. There are some things that we're trying to pray through or pray over when they need to be just separated. Like we trying to throw in a devotional when somebody who's lying, when somebody who's stealing, somebody who's doing all types of toxic behaviors. But okay, let's pray because God, I know you, you can do everything, right? So you can fix this person and I'll turn out to be the hero for being a part of that because on the other side, maybe they dated some 
people before that was unhealthy or cheated on them. And so I'm going to show up as the one who doesn't cheat. I'm the good guy. So I'm going to put my cape on and, and do all the things Captain that you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do all the things that you're supposed to do as a man, as they say you're supposed to do. But I had to learn that I don't have to take on everybody else's responsibilities. And at the same time, me adapting or adjusting or taking all those responsibilities, I'm neglecting my own. And then at a certain point, I become unhealthy, resentful, and then I'm mirroring their behavior. Now, earlier in the show, I play a clip of you on Sister Circle, I believe is the name of the show. And you mention, you know, you have to find that woman that you can pray for, not pray on. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Talk to me a little bit about the significance of that. So there's a difference. Um, So, you know, praying on is the P-R-E-Y, right? So you see their weaknesses, and I'm going to take advantage of that. So I'm praying on their weaknesses. I see that they really are desperate for something, so I'm trying to fulfill that void, right? And so I'm showing them that they need me. And I'm taking advantage of those moments. Even when I have my shortcomings, I'm reminding them, of the one thing that I'm doing good for them, despite all the trash things that are, that are happening around them. Mm-hmm. So you're praying on their weaknesses. But if you're praying for someone, the P-R-A-Y, then I'm literally praying for them. And then you can recognize the difference because praying for them doesn't mean that you need to stay connected with them. Because I can pray for you and then walk away. You can be in my prayers, but don't you don't have to be in my life in a sense that we have to be in a relationship. So is it almost praying for the woman even before she comes into your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're praying for the woman. So the biggest part, again, is yourself. Like, help me be the person I need to be for my wife. And so I'm praying for myself. I'm showing up the best that I can. And I'm also praying for her to be ready to receive me. I'm praying for her to to recognize me. I'm praying for her to be strong enough when we connect that we don't disrupt each other's pace. We don't disrupt each other's lifestyles. We don't disrupt each other's purpose. So it's all types of prayers that you have for that particular person. So let's go back to what it took for you to arrive at who you needed to be, to be able to show up to be the husband that she needed. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest part for me is I need to learn a lot of boundaries. I had this idea, again, you talk about fixing and thinking I have a big heart when I didn't have any boundaries. The the significant difference, like always stretching myself, always trying to be there for everybody else. I needed to know how to say no and be okay with it. I needed to know how to be a bad guy in somebody's eyes because I I didn't have to be so friendly to everybody else. I needed to be able to control myself that I'm not responding to every temptation because I feel bad that they might feel rejected. It was so many different things that I needed to do. I needed to get my money together because, again, I had money coming in, but it was always about making sure everybody else was all right. You can't be like that in a relationship or definitely not in a marriage. No, not at all. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it was a lot of different things, like all the different aspects of life I had to really work on. Just my overall health uh, routine and sleep routine and eating habits and all those different things. I had to really get in check in order to be able to show up for my wife. But how did you do that? What did that look like? To be more specific, I go back to 2018, right? I started setting my boundaries. I even had a boundary on Mondays where I don't work. 
So I have a self-care Monday. My phone is on do not disturb all day. Nobody has access to me. Maybe somebody read my special contacts they can call or whatever, but they already know. Don't bother me on Mondays. I started to turn my phone off at 8 p.m. on do not disturb because that's when you start to get the text messages. People want you to come hang out. People want to come over. People want to do, you know, whatever it is, your friends or a significant other or just somebody that you used to mess around with. Just hit you up and be like, yo, what's up? What you doing? Like, like I had to not give people access to me and I had to deny myself the access to others. Then I started to exercise on a consistent basis. Also, my prayer life changed. My relationship with God changed. It was more intentional. Again, I wasn't stretching myself to pray with somebody else. I was praying for myself, with myself, finding a church, getting more um, structured when business-wise, not taking on everything that everybody sends to me, like, oh, you should do this. Even like the stuff on like social media, do this live with me. Um, it'll help you get your followers. Like all this stuff, I was saying yes to everything. I was so stretched and so exhausted at the same time. The devil is a lie. Well, you're listening to Paul Bache Williams, um, a therapist, author, and businessman on The Devil is a Lie. Now, as a therapist, how hard is it for you to receive counsel? Or are you open and it's easy for you to receive it because it's something that you understand? I think that the thing was, I was always open, but I was too open. Again, I was receiving counsel from everybody. But again, 2018, I got serious and got my own therapist, which I was seeing weekly. And so I was very intentional about that relationship, very intentional about being on both sides of the couch. Again, starting my practice solely built on myself, not relying on anybody else, leaving all the other jobs. I needed to have that support and I needed to have that outlet and access to different parts of me that might have been blind spots that kept getting me in that same cycle over and over again. And one of the things my therapist said to me, he was like, as we talk, I always wait until something egregious happens before I leave. And I was like, I got to check that. Like, why do I have to wait for something chaotic to happen before I leave work, before I leave a relationship, before I leave a conversation? Like, just because I'm built for it doesn't mean I have to go through it. So 18, your life is kind of in shambles, it sounds like. (laughs) But by 2020... Everything was restored and there's happiness and there's love. So clearly you put in the work. What was the most humbling situation that you had to go through to see the light of 2020? I will say the most humbling situation was my 40th birthday. That That's what really, it was the most humbling. At that particular time, I had I had this idea. My book was coming out on my birthday. I was whoever I was with at that particular time. I was going to propose to them on my birthday. Aww. I was going to have my family or whatever with me. And it was going to be this big celebration. I spent my 40th birthday by myself editing my book. I did take a little Bahamas cruise, one of them 199 cruises from, uh, I forgot where it was from, somewhere in Florida. Um, Cape Canaveral. But I was on it. <laughs> No, it's a a, um, celebrity cruise, something, something like that. Uh, West Palm Beach is out of West Palm Beach. Okay, it's one ninety nine, and the thing about it is, I had taken 
the person I thought I was going to be engaged to on that cruise before. And so I said I needed to get away. I couldn't, I wasn't going to be able to be at home and editing my book on my 40th birthday. I didn't want to be around a whole bunch of people. I even had doubts for anybody even show up for me. That's how bad I, I was feeling about myself. So I was like, to avoid it, people's like, oh, what you doing? Like, I'm always like, I, I put the cruise, I got to be out. But really, I was feeling like nobody would show up for me. Really, I didn't want people to see me by myself on my birthday. 40th. Like, all the plans that I had. But wait, as much as not, you showed up for everyone else, you were worried that nobody would show up for you? Why? That's where I was, mentally. And, and sometimes we don't give other people an opportunity to show up for us because we're constantly showing up for other people. True. And then there was a level of avoidance too, never having events. And like even my friends, you know, they rarely came to my side because I, they all lived in Prince George's County. I lived in Montgomery County, way in Germantown, Gaithersburg, and everybody lived in DC and Prince George's County. So I was constantly driving to them and they came to me one year, but it was like, it was like a new year's and they came over, but Everybody almost got arrested going home because they had to drive back. And it was after midnight and, you know, the police were out and it was just like, I'm never having anybody over to my house again. Like, nah. a slumber party. Right, right. So it was like all these different things, experiences and maybe some anxiety or ideologies that people won't show up. But the truth was, I never really asked. I never really um, created events for people to show up for. And then also dealing with anxiety, too, even like my speaking events and stuff like that. I used to have them locally, but I didn't invite my friends. I didn't invite my family because of this imposter syndrome of this person who thinks, you know, you're going to mess up when everybody everybody's going to think you're a fraud. Like everybody's asking you, like, how do you get these different things? You're on different shows you're all over this place. Like, how do you get that? And I'm like, I don't know. But now if they show up to it. The person that they seen you the other night, y'all chopping it up, having drinks. Now you're being all serious. Like, are you an imposter? So going through all those different thought processes, those negative um, automatic thoughts, I had really had to challenge them. And that kind of led me again to the growth spurt of you talking about emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, even physically to get to where I was in 2020. So speaking of imposter syndrome, um, I feel like that's kind of the genesis of why this show was created was to help people address those thoughts and let people know like, hey, you're not alone in feeling sometimes as a fraud or as though you're not good enough. This next part of what I'm going to ask you about is if you would be willing to share a time that you didn't think that you were good enough, that you did not know how you were going to overcome a particular situation. So what is the situation that you were kind of battling whether or not you were good enough or if you were going to be a fraud or found out about? But then when you faced it, how did you face it? And then what was waiting for you on the other side? I would say my whole book. So writing about relationships, but not married. Being a marriage therapist, but not married giving thousands of people advice, but not able to sustain, sustain a healthy relationship. Like, am I an imposter? I still, I'll say I edited my book, but I have not read it since I wrote it. A lot of my book are reframed experiences of dating, of relationships. So at the time when I was ready to release it, 
I just wrote it and gave it away. Just like, here, sell it, go buy it. And people was like, oh, read this chapter. And I'm like, ah, you know, I experienced it. I kind of, you know, summarize it. And some of the stuff is in there from other men that I've interviewed. But that's that was huge for, for me for a while. It was a serious experience with imposter syndrome. Like, dear future wife, like, how long are you going to be talking about future wife without being married? You're 40. <laughs> you got everybody asks you all the questions and you got all the answers and all this type of stuff. But why aren't you getting it right? Like my sister said in 2019, your picker was off. I remember I had close friends who said, the people you always pick got some severe stuff going on. They always got some chaotic. They don't have no nowhere to live. All of a sudden. Yeah. Nowhere to live all of a sudden. <laughs> or, you know, somebody was married and they lied that they weren't married. Like it was a whole bunch of just different things. And my friends were just like, yo, what's going on? Like, how, why do you always picking these projects? And I didn't see it as that. And I'm like, they're not projects. I'm sticking up for them. But then I stepped outside of them. I was like, there was a lot of chaos in there. But I know I was internally chaotic as well because I saw that as a place of need. I saw that as because I doubt myself, that's a place where I know I'm needed, I'm wanted. So it was a lot of imposter syndrome going all over the place because at some point, once you stop fulfilling that need, then what? Then what's your purpose in their life? They leave. Or they try to find something else to take advantage of. So how are you able to go from being the project king to <laughs> to finding your equal? I said I didn't want to get into any relationships. I wanted to develop my relationship with myself. That was the first thing I said. I'm on chill mode. I ain't trying to date nobody. I ain't trying to get in a relationship. That was the first step because I wanted to stop that inner bully that told me I needed to fix something, that told me that's all I'm good for. So having that conversation and challenging that. And then when I met, when I finally built up the courage to hire somebody because I needed somebody to, to help my brand because I wanted my brand to look different. And I stopped thinking that I, I need to do everything by myself. I stopped trying to do everything by myself. I asked for help in so many different aspects of my life whether it's finding somebody that helps me clean the house once a week, whether it's finding, getting a massage once a week, getting pet, like my whole life was about teamwork. And so once I hired um, my wife at the, at the time, she was just a brand manager. Once I hired her, she started to change a whole bunch of different things. And again, I didn't even notice her, but I hired uh, just, not just her, I hired someone to help me with my practice, to bring my practice to the money that I wanted to get. I hired another business coach. I hired somebody to take care of my finances. So you started investing in yourself yes. and your dreams. Yes. Yes. And stop trying to control it. Hmm. Because as long as I can control it, then I can control how big it gets and I can prevent it from being too small. But I was also stifling myself with that. So once I did that, once I hired her, she started to do things that kind of shift my thought process about myself, about where I could go. Literally, I'll be going to speak on the news and I'm shaking with anxiety because an imposter syndrome shows up or the anxiety shows up and says, do you know what you're talking about? You're going to lose your voice. <laughs> Remember that last time you did this? Remember when in college when you was talking and all of a sudden you start sweating? It's going to happen on the stage. You're going to say, um, you're going to say this, you're going to say that and not giving myself grace 
not knowing, not paying attention to the fact that I have degrees, I have licenses, I have certifications, I have all these different things. But imposter syndrome says, oh, somebody just gave you that. Or I hear the, the voice of my dean of my college who said I, I'm getting racist, by the way, said I'm charming my way through school. Did you? I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say all them papers they had me writing. Look, my son was being bored and I was flying from Tennessee to Maryland to Texas back to Maryland to Tennessee every month. So I can see my son every month and still writing them papers on a plane, writing them papers, recording, calling my answer machine and recording thoughts that I want to write, like all that different stuff. And it was so amazing because I didn't even realize how, how, how traumatic that was. And two years later, somebody said something. I was just like, yo, I've been through that too. A lot of us black males, a lot of us black people in general go through that in those you know, white institutions. We go through the covert and overt racism. So I remember I going through that and I was just like, that went through my head when I was went to go speak one time because I was speaking in front of a, a white reporter and I was just like, they're going to think I'm fake. So yeah, it's just so many different things came into my head that I had to challenge. Wow. You face a lot of those challenges, even though I'm sure there are certain things that still come up from time to time. I think that's normal. Mm -hmm. What is your number one tip that you would like to share with our audience who may be dealing with imposter syndrome? The, the biggest thing is to believe the evidence, right? Sometimes we got to literally look back, keep a log of our success, keep a log of our work that we did and the results of that work. And I always have the saying that I tell everybody, either commit to your breakthrough or submit to your breakdown. And that's been my saying for years. And even when you're having a breakdown, you still can commit to the breakthrough. Mm. So we don't have to stay down. Again, sometimes just turn around, remind, remind yourself, remember those nights when you had to sit up and write that paper, when you had to sit up and work overtime, when you were in the gym and you had different goals and you pushed through that. Or remember the time when you almost failed. Remember the time you did fail. But remember, you're no longer in that position. I love it. Well, do you have any new books on the horizon or any upcoming projects that you'd like to share? Yes. So we have a book coming out together. Dear Marriage, Who's we? my wife and I. What's her name? So <laughs> Tara, Tara <laughs> Gates Williams. So it's through the When Love Aligns um, business, but it's Dear Marriage, When Love Aligns. So that's coming out in the um, early spring. And then in the summertime, I'm coming out with Found. And Found is my personal book. It's the journey of just myself, how I got to where I am, the different experiences, very intentional what I'm writing, very authentic and vulnerable. I'm sharing a lot. I'm putting myself out there. I said 2022 is a year of vulnerability and transparency because I know the different experience that I have will, will help others. And I also want to release it because sometimes people talk about their experiences with you in a way that it really didn't happen. And a lot of times we're quiet about it, but we don't always have to respond when they do stuff like that. But there always is a time for us to share what we need to share. And this is my time. 
I love it. I'm here for it. I can't wait for the book to come out so we can have you back on so we can talk about the new book. Well, books found in marriage or dear, what is it? Dear marriage, when love aligns. Dear marriage, when love aligns. Yes, this has been amazing. Um, Would you like to share some social media information with the audience so they can stay in touch? Sure. You can find me on everything is Bashe Williams. That's B-A-S-H-E-A Williams on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. My website is BasheWilliams.com. Also, if you're looking for therapy, uh, it's Hearts in Mind Counseling. That's Hearts in Mind Counseling.com. And that's pretty much. You can just Google me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bashe, for taking the time to speak with us today. This has been wonderful. Pleasure anytime. All right. And to you at home, thank you for joining us. I hope that you are walking away with tons of nuggets from this conversation on manifesting your dreams, that relationship that you want, and overcoming those imposterous thoughts. The Devil is a Lie is a production of the Live Podcast Network, an entity of DC Media Connection. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media at the Alive Podcast Network. We hope that you enjoyed today's show. And remember, there is greatness within you. And if anybody tells you anything different, the devil is a lie. Until next time, be blessed. The devil is a lie.